The container crisis. Is this the end of a globalized trade? Where are the containers? What caused the container shortage and is there a way out? Today we are looking into the container crisis and its impact on global trade. We will discuss which possible solutions exist. I'm Julia Hönig, Assistant Professor at Erasmus School of Law and today we ask What is wrong with maritime trade? The sustainable law talk right from the center of trade. Rotterdam. Welcome to the second episode of this podcast, where we try to tackle patterns of trade which developed over centuries and discuss potential solutions. For our second episode, I'm more than happy to welcome our two guest speakers, Dr. Stefano Fasi and Professor Dr. Wouter Verheyen. Welcome. Dr. Stefano Fasi is currently lecturer at the Technical University in Delft at the Faculty Technology, Policy and Management. He obtained his PhD in Industrial Engineering in 2014 at the Technical University in Eindhoven and his research interests lie in optimization of transport chains. Focus of his research has been primarily on inland container shipping and in general hinterland transport, working along with several stakeholders in the sector. His recent research interests concern the platformization of the transport sector aimed at supporting synchromodal transport. Professor Wouter Verheyen is Professor of Transport Law and Labor Law at the University in Antwerp in Belgium. He obtained his PhD in 2013 at the Catholic University in Leuven, also in Belgium, and became assistant and later associate professor at Erasmus University in Rotterdam. His research focuses on sharing and platform economy with a specific focus on mobility and logistics. The facts. So, um, around 90% of the goods are shipped in containers. And, of course, during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there had been a tremendous effect uh, on global trade, meaning there were trade restrictions and um, that caused closed Uh, closed ports, logjams at ports, and according to Bloomberg, about 25 million of the containers were off their normal routes. Um, on the other hand, the demand of cargo grew uh, due to the inter alia closed local stores, so people ordered online. The container manufacturers, however, were not prepared for this increase, and as demand increased but the supply remained the same, the container prices and the freight rates rose uh, incredibly. And according to Economic Times, this was even 300 to 500%. So Stefano, the current situation seems to be a symptom of a global supply chain with many, many errors. Um, can you explain the global supply chain and the way a good takes from the manufacturer to the consumer maybe? Yes, there is not actually um, a generalization of uh, um, the global super chain. It's, it's very difficult to come up with, uh, with a general definition. But uh, um, in principle, uh, uh, a lot of uh, international trade starts from China, um, from the manufacturers uh, of the goods. And uh, uh, after that, uh, typically um, goods are shipped by a container, which is the most common way to uh, transport goods uh, yeah, internationally, course, uh, yeah. overseas uh, as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, um, there are several players uh, involved, uh, and uh, the most important uh, is the shipping line, 
the shipping line is actually, um, for example, Maersk, Hapag uh, Lloyd, uh, uh, all these companies that uh, uh, own big vessels, they make the, bi- the big vessel, like 20,000 TU, and you can see pictures uh, also on Google. And uh, they also manufacture the empty containers. And, um, and they rent these containers to the manufacturers who then ship their goods within these containers, who then take a big vessel, they come to Rotterdam, and then uh, it's uh, all the interland flow to our uh, stores and uh, yeah. ultimately to our houses. Okay, um, but uh, if I may uh, stop you there. So when we, when we talk about the supply chain, why do we not start with... Um, mining or extracting the raw material. Why is this not involved in in our discussion here? Uh, that is uh, something that we can uh, think as a separate thing because the the raw material can be of uh, a different nature. Uh, we can have uh, coal. Uh, we can have uh, plastic. Of course, uh, some some raw material also travel uh, by a by a container. Maybe in some other direction than. Uh, China, Europe, or maybe more like, uh, I don't know, US, China, or whatever, or maybe even within China, there could be some uh, internal flows, even by a container. Uh, that depends on the uh, type of goods or of raw material that is uh, that is shipped, obviously. But in general, raw material is not shipped in containers. I think this is just good for the for the audience to know, because... Uh, it depends. It depends yeah. on the... <laughs> if it's a granular raw material, yeah. uh, is uh, transported in bulk uh, mm-hmm. in uh, big ships, uh, and uh, like coal or uh, any liquid, uh, for example. Uh, but, for example, if you need like uh, plastic uh, to to build your, uh, I don't know, electronic devices, uh, maybe that can also be shipped yeah. by, a, uh, by a container. And um, that is, uh, I would say, uh, is not uh, uh, different than uh, um, the, the regular shipping from the manufacturer to the final uh, consumer. Uh, but the, let's say the the, sup- the part of the supply chain that is really affecting uh, uh, the, the efficiency uh, is uh, is the one from the manufacturer to the to the final consumer because uh, um, the distances are are way larger and uh, it's more difficult to uh, to be efficient and to synchronize uh, different different supply chains. Whereas when you, for example, uh, need raw material that can even be supplied locally. And, yeah. uh, and that's why the supply chain is way more easier to, to manage. True. Okay, yeah, well, thanks for the clarification. I think this is okay. this was re- quite, quite useful. So coming back to the, to the participants, and you mentioned um, the ones that manufacture the containers. Mm, you said uh, there are the, the shipping lines. Um, can you maybe explain this? Because I think, of course, they have an interest in uh, trading the containers even storing them, maybe, was holding them. Yeah, Yeah, th- there is a, a huge business behind. Uh, of course, uh, um, everybody needs containers. Uh, uh, at the moment, uh, of course, there is a kind of shortage. Uh, maybe not, not really in the, in the number of containers, but uh, um, the current location is, uh, is not where um, the containers are needed at the moment because there is a, a big uh, amount of uh, empty containers now, for example, in Europe but uh, they need to be shipped to back to China yeah. because there they will be filled again. So uh, synchronizing the two, uh, the, yeah. the two transport chains is, is, really, is really important. But um, so just coming back to the manufacturing process, so the shipping lines, 
they what are these shipping lines shipping lines are well they uh, they in principle make the container and they rent uh, the container to uh, to shippers mm-hmm. and shippers are uh, manufacturers like ikea yeah. sony yeah. philips uh, whatever and um, and they rent these containers and of course they want to uh, keep track of where the, these containers are yeah. and that's why there are in place uh, several uh, uh, tariff uh, that uh, for which they, they want to take control and uh, also um, make sure that their the containers is uh, is back to their premises or their empty depot um, as soon as possible because then the containers can be reutilized for <laughs> for other shippers Okay, but um, so maybe for our audience, um, so we imagine the shipping line manufactures one container and then the container is directly loaded on a ship and then it goes on a journey. What happens then during the journey at the port? Can you maybe explain this? Yes, so um, the containers, of course, is uh, uh, loaded on a a vessel, then uh, maybe reach uh, one of the major European ports like Rotterdam, Antwerp, uh, Hamburg. Uh, the container is discharged uh, at the port and there uh, basically the container can stay a few days for free uh, this period is called uh, the murage and yeah we will come to this later <laughs> okay maybe we will come to this later um, after the container is discharged um, you can wait a few days uh, at the at the seaport uh, before the the shipper ask uh, a transport operator to, to take the container and uh, move it, for example, by a train or barge or truck uh, to the hinterland. And, uh, and there starts the, let's say, the, the intermodal uh, transportation, uh, which uh, uh, typically uh, requires uh, more than one modality. Yeah, maybe uh, for our audience, the, um, well, I'm, I'm at least a bit familiar with multimodal. Uh, multimodal means that you have more than one means of transport, meaning for instance, a vessel and a truck. So just very simple. Yeah. A yeah. barge or a train. Yeah, it, uh, it depends. I mean, the the majority of the goods are transported by by, by truck. Uh, and because truck is uh, flexible, uh, yeah. now the, the cost for trucking are getting lower and lower and more competitive against uh, uh, inland shipping uh, or uh, train transport. Um, and of course, uh, one of the, the goal uh, of uh, uh, is, uh, is to push down uh, the volumes uh, shipped by, yeah. by truck because, of course, this uh, 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 generate pollution, uh, traffic jam, uh, obviously, whereas uh, uh, train and barge are uh, the more environmentally friendly uh, modalities and yeah, their use true. is very promoted, especially in the Netherlands. Uh, yeah, I just heard yesterday that the train, uh, the first train arrives uh, from China or arrived in, uh, in Germany, uh, okay. the first uh, container train. Um, let let us go back to maybe the port operations. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the audience already took notice of the Ever Given incident. Well, yep. it was all over the media. Um, so the Ever Given reached the port of Rotterdam. And, um, well, a few of the, uh, or some of the uh, cargoes and some of the items in the containers uh, were urgently needed anywhere else. Is there a moment where a container is broken down, so meaning a container is, they, they open the container and then distribute uh, the cargo, or will the container be loaded from the port to the truck in its entirety? 
So uh, I think the, the most common operation is that uh, the container stay intact uh, at the at the seaport, and then it's moved to the hinterland mm -hmm. uh, in uh, maybe uh, an uh, inland terminal or uh, a hub, whatever, where the container is then uh, uh, unloaded, uh, and then maybe the parcels are uh, shipped uh, everywhere. This okay. could be, for example, uh, a container uh, shipped to Amazon. Uh, yeah. uh, so the container <laughs> typically go to the warehouse of Amazon, and then there are single shipments. And that is the, the most common way. And uh, doing uh, the other way, so unpacking the container in Rotterdam, uh, especially given the large volumes uh, there would really create uh, a huge uh, huge delay <laughs> true, i think true, so that's why yes. this is more decentralized uh, i would say so um but then it sounds to me at least that uh, containers will be emptied and filled again so how does it then come that we are short of containers because i mean the moment they are packed they are packed and they are full and they are will be emptied and so uh, The typical flow is that from China we have uh, uh, the flow of uh, full containers. Uh, these full containers are received by uh, the shipper in their warehouses uh, in the hinterland. Uh, and then these containers are emptied and uh, and then they should be given back to uh, to the shipping line. Who so they ship empty containers? Yes, indeed. <laughs> so uh, at this moment, so in Europe, there is a, a large volume of empty empty containers that should be deliver back to, to the shipping line, who then uh, ship the empty containers to China, basically. And this, of course, uh, it creates delays, uh, yeah. obviously, because it's, uh, it takes time. And actually, one of the uh, recent innovation is to uh, these uh, foldable containers. Oh, we will speak about this uh, then. Great. Then we have, uh, there is a way out. Which actually <laughs> is, a, I think, is a Dutch innovation. To nice. be, uh, yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, and um, because now, of course, uh, an, an empty container doesn't contain anything, and uh, if you want to ship, uh, um, if you want to transport uh, a huge amount of empty containers on on a ship, uh, well, of course, the the amount will be way larger if you if you can fold the, the, con the containers, yeah. and this can actually have a large impact uh, because then uh, uh, you don't need to manufacture new containers. There will True. be less delay, especially when transporting things from uh, uh, from overseas. True, but um, coming back to the to the errors that developed over centuries, that's that's also a topic here. Um, are the empty containers the only reason for the shortage? Of course, there are restrictions of um, imposed by governments because of the pandemic. I know, that, but are these the only reasons for the container shortage? In terms of empty containers, uh, you mean? Yeah, yeah, or in general, that we have, that we are short of uh, of containers. Uh, are there any like, I don't know. I heard about different sizes of railways between Spain and and yeah. France, for instance. Are there yeah, any other course. reasons? Yeah, so um, there is a, a general delay, and uh, at the moment, uh, speaking with some uh, uh, stakeholders, some uh, uh, transport operators, uh, they they claim that uh, there is at least uh, two weeks delay. Uh, and this is due to uh, different transport systems that need to be uh, coordinated. Mm -hmm. And um, and for example, there is uh, the the rail system, for example, um, in uh, Russia is different from the rail system in Europe. So they, they use, I think, larger uh, rails, basically. And, uh, and of course, in order to, to move to a new system, they need to unload the train uh, with the containers and move the containers on another train which fit the European standard 
basically. And that, of course, uh, causes a delay, and, uh, which uh, is additional to the delay that was that created by the, um, by the vessel, by the Evergreen okay, so vessel. That's insane. <laughs> it, it's, it's crazy. And uh, yeah. the ever-given uh, um, uh, incident uh, was, uh, was really problematic because it, it created such a domino effect for uh, all the ports, because of course a ship doesn't only uh, visit one single port, but uh, a sequence of ports, yeah. and uh, and this of course affected uh, everybody because behind the, the the ever given there were many other vessels waiting. <laughs> yes. So at the moment all these ports uh, were with uh, with their schedule disrupted yeah. completely, and uh, they had to basically handle all these ships uh, at once, and uh, creating uh, such a domino effect, which which will take many months before uh, we can recover. Uh. Okay, so, uh, well, it sounds like, an hopele uh, like a hopeless situation, but at the other side, you already disclosed some ideas. I would like to uh, keep these ideas and for the, for the last part. For now, I'm quite happy. Thank you very much for Welcome. the explanations. Um, so we now want to look into the legal obstacles. Um, I'm pretty sure that not only the operational side will cause problems. And uh, yes, thank you very much. The legal issues. So, Wouter, um, let's talk about the legal status quo. When we talk about the legal obstacles, um, we usually come to the conclusion that the la uh, law lags behind the law is old and the law does not fit into the reality. We are talking about transport and maritime topics, so a very, very old industry, areas where operational innovations are omnipresent nowadays. Is the law up to date? What do you think? Well, first of all, it should be noted that uh, legislators will never invest in science fiction legislation. We could ve draft very nice instruments on flying cars, for example, uh, but probably a legislator will wait with this until we actually have a solid business case for this. So it's only, well, the nature of things that law is responsive to societal changes. Now, that being said, this, of course, um, does cause a problem because normally law and especially commercial law should be a catalyst for trade but if law lags behind it can in fact become an obstacle to trade and this is especially the case in transport law because it's mandatory law so you cannot you don't have this darwinistic approach where well laws that are not working anymore in the society they extinguish well, no, they will apply mandatorily to the contract and so parties have to navigate in this legal framework. Um, so some of the problems are that we have uh, mode-specific transport law while our contract chains are not unimodal anymore, but in fact very complex contract chains. And so this is already a problem. Also, these logistic contracts, forwarding contracts, we don't have dedicated international instruments for them, again, causing lacunas, gaps, and uncertainty with this. Okay, but um, you said also that commercial law can be a catalyst and uh, it can contribute to simplification. 
Let us just come back to what Stefan uh, mentioned earlier. So there are different aspects and I really want to, to focus on, on one of them. There is the use of containers and from a legal perspective, uh, also for the audience, it's maybe good to know, from a legal perspective, this use of a single container is can be described as slot charter party. Okay, um, maybe also slot charter party does not mean party to a slot charter, but slot charter contract. Um, so uh, the slot charter um, is not a typical charter party like we have two different charter parties. We have a time charter party and we have a voyage charter party. Um, and so easily explained, the time charter party is like a rent of the vessel, including crew for a certain period of time. And the voyage charter is like a taxi. So using the vessel for one particular journey. And, uh, well, this is oversimplified, of course, but just for the audience to know what this is about. And the slot charter party is a, big, a mix of both. It is a rent of a container for a certain period of time, but it also causes some consequences if there is a delay in unloading. Do you mean if a party like, for example, IKEA unloads its container too late? Yes, definitely this. So in this position, the IKEA would be considered a shipper. And the shipper has usually a certain period of time to unload the cargo. And uh, this is usually for free. And it's called late time. Uh, I would like to quote from the BIMCO, uh, which is a standard form. Um, and there they define late time as shall mean the period of time agreed between the parties during which the owner will make and keep the vessel available for loading and discharging without payment um, of additional um, freight. So usually they pay, so they pay freight for the voyage in exchange. Um, so if they exceed this lay time, they usually have to pay the marriage. The marriage is also defined in BIMCO, uh, shall mean an agreed uh, amount payable to the owner in respect of delay to the vessel once the lay time has expired for which the owner is not responsible. So now we can say, well, why should IKEA load it, um, load, unload the cargo late? Well, um, there are circumstances where prices drop. And I'm pretty sure that Stefano will elaborate on this uh, from an operational perspective as well. Um, so just imagine your billy shelf drops in prices. Uh, but IKEA has a certain period of time um, for unloading. Then, of course, IKEA will wait until the latest moment for unloading because otherwise it has to sell the billy shelf for a very low price. So, in fact they use this lay time. Another problem is that uh, the shipment of air in containers, this was also what Stefano <laughs> mentioned with the shipment of empty containers. Wouter, can you explain how law could be a solution to this problem here? You mentioned that law can be a catalyst, so how can it be a catalyst? Well, so first let's look at the numbers before students uh, start thinking that it's really about contracts for the shipment of air. Um, so um, 
Well, a crucial factor here is the loading degree of container. And while there are different numbers circulating because you can define the loading degree in a number of ways. You can look at the maximum permissible weight. But then of course, if you have a container of toilet paper, you will never have a full container. While in fact, it is 100% full. Yeah? So other factors are to look at the volume of containers are to look at the deck volume. So is the floor fully covered? Um, anyways, depending on these different factors, loading degree has always been around 50 to 60% of the available capacity. And so on average, a container contains 35% of air. And in addition, 20 or 30% of all containers are running empty. And so partially this is attributable to market asymmetries. For example, your trade chains from uh, China to Europe will still be thicker than those uh, from Europe to China. And so then, well, if you want to get the containers back to China, you will always end up with some empty containers. But a further important factor is the lack of sufficient transparency and cooperation in the supply chain and legal models could thus provide a solution for this. Okay, but um, just uh, sorry for interrupting you here, but um, well, isn't it a, rather a problem, for instance, scholars like Stefano <laughs> have to solve? So it sounds to me like a pure economic problem. And is, this, is there really a way how that uh, law and how can law contribute to the better here? Because from, from my perspective, it really uh, sounds like an economic prob uh, problem. Well, in say this is true. However, um, well, an important factor where law can play a role and must play a role is the restriction of transaction costs. Yeah? And let's take a hypothetical case to explain this. So you have a shop exporting Dutch cheese to Rome. Yeah? And at the Dutch-Italian Chamber of Commerce meeting, you meet someone who exports Dutch Geneva, as it's called. And that assume that your colleague ships monthly a 20-foot container with a 65% loading degree, while you ship each month a 40-feet uh, container with a 70% loading degree. And if you would combine this, you could thus ship each month a fully loaded 40-foot container. And so, At first glance, this lead, this cooperation leads to a huge saving, namely the full cost of the uh, 20-foot container shipment. Yeah. However, in order for you to cooperate, you must negotiate, agree on shipment dates and routing, distribute the price. You might say, well, I contribute the biggest volume, so I should get the biggest saving in this. Yeah. But there are also other ways to look at this. And so all these costs in setting up this cooperation, these are those transaction costs. Okay, um, but then maybe for the audience, when we talk about also slot sharing or cooperation and consolidation, um, can you maybe explain what a consolidator does? And this what you described does not really fit in what a cargo consolidator does from my perspective at least um, and can you thus externalize these questions so um, maybe for the audience can you make it a bit 
uh, more explicit what uh, what is this about? Well, so there are two different models. The traditional model is the cargo consolidator model indeed. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Cargo consolidator can either be a carrier or a forwarding, uh, a freight forwarder, sorry, who is in the market and who attracts uh, less than container loads. Yeah, so LCL cargos. So basically, he then puzzles with this. Yeah, every container can contain, well, a 40 foot container that is, can contain up to maximum 22 to 25 pallets. So in case of palletized shipments, he will combine these less than container load cargos to a full container. Yeah, so you can indeed say, well, then he is responsible for avoiding the shipment of air. And that is true. Uh, however, of course, this guy is also a service provider. So he will anyway uh, charge his services. Plus, in addition, he will have the risk uh, of staying behind with empty slots and he will of course also charge this risk yeah and this makes that in case of containers with a loading degree of above yeah something like 70 percent it's often not interesting anymore to make use of consolidators because the cost savings are just too little yeah and plus you might of course lose in flexibility etc yeah okay if you can however organize cooperation between the shippers yourself then these savings can entirely be distributed between the par parties and then you can also make more marginal gains possible but this also means that the parties actually have to cooperate and share the risk <laughs> that is kind of uh yeah hard work yeah of course them. so and this is then the challenge for law yeah, yeah. now if you want to do this, it's a fully do-it-yourself problem, yeah? And so then, if you want to do this as a small shipper, it would probably require to team up with a lawyer or to team up with a freight orchestrator, as they call themselves, but then you're again making use of service providers, again, eating up some of the savings, yeah? And so, well, what I think law should do here is to provide with models. Yeah, it can be sets of standard terms and conditions. It can also be law, which provide legal certainty, predictability and a fair distribution of risks and costs. And so if you have those models, this immediately will reduce these transaction costs. If you then have two companies sitting next to each other at a company park, they just use this standard form and they can set up the cooperation without needing to negotiate too much. Yeah. Okay. An additional problem um, is... Yeah, uh, if, if, if I may, um, I, coming back to this risk sharing, can we maybe uh, exemplify this, building on an example? So, for example, if a bottle of Geneva breaks and damages cheese, so one type of cargo from one shipper damages a cargo of a different shipper, what does this mean with risk sharing, so liability consequences? Well, then you have very strong cheese. <laughs> no, so um, 
in this case, the answer to these questions is so often in transport law, it depends. But here, the it depends exists even at a more fundamental level. Namely, we don't know. Yeah, because the problem is, as we already said in the beginning, transport law applies mandatorily. But for example, CMR and none of the other conventions, uh, uh, well, well, sorry, the other conventions have the same problem. They um, don't contain a rule on, well, sharing of risk in case of co-shippers. Yeah. Um, and so as a consequence, when we look at CMR, the typical scheme is presumed liability uh, unless the carrier can make this prima facie case of, for example, defective packing, assuming that the bottle was packed in a defective way. Yeah. Well, the problem is now I packed my cheese in a decent way. It was the Geneva that was packed in a defective way. However, then the question is, well, if we have a situation with co-shippers, does this defense work then for the carrier erga omnes? So can he invoke it against all co-shippers, like in the case of joint liability? Or does it only work uh, inter partes, meaning only against the shipper of Geneva? Yeah? And the outcome of this will then determine whether I should address uh, the Geneva shipper and have the risk of his insolvency or instead should go against the carrier. And the same also applies, the same problem also applies for shipper liability. Yeah. So assume that something really goes wrong with the Geneva. Maybe custom duties were not uh, declared properly. And so the, the container is being blocked. The shipper of the Geneva disappears. Then it is uncertain whether the carrier can also claim damages for this from me, the shipper of the cheese. Okay, but uh, hold, hold on a minute. Then, um, for me, it sounds like a, a business impossibility. So then I would like to ask uh, Stefano, um, do there ex or are there existing platform models for these corporations if there are so huge risks? At the moment, uh, uh, there are platforms uh, uh, that uh, are targeted uh, mainly at truck transport. Uh, so we are talking about the difference between uh, uh, full truckload and less than truckload transport. Typically, shippers prefer full uh, full truckload because the, the truck is really reserved for them, for their cargo, and uh, less than truckload. Of course, you, you share the truck with, with other shippers. The problem so far has been that uh, um, there are many layers in between when you book uh, when you book a truck. Uh, so there are so-called freight forwarders that, uh, because big shippers lean on freight forwarders, which are this entity that uh, organize the transportation for them. But sometimes freight forwarders, in turn, uh, lean on other freight forwarders. So there are many layers, and it's uh, I think also especially for uh, for a legal perspective, it's very difficult to <laughs> to spot the liability actually. Well, then we have <laughs> then we have the risk sharing again. Indeed. So okay, but uh, sorry for for keeping you here. <laughs> so um, I I think we we heard all already a lot and. Let's have a look at the outlook and how we can deal with these difficulties for the liability, risk sharing and 
at the other side, the innovations for collaboration. Thank you both. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the last part. Thank you. The outlook. So coming to the last part, according to a newspaper articles of Reuters, Walmart switched from 40-foot containers uh, to 53-foot containers. Is this the way forward? So <laughs> do we just need bigger containers? Um, and is this even better than consolidating cargo capacity? So, uh, Stefano, what do you think? Is this the way forward? <laughs> It strongly depends on the uh, on the shipper. Uh, I think uh, transport the transportation system, the transportation setting in general is uh, uh, so heterogeneous that uh, it's very difficult to come up with uh, uh, general guidelines that fit uh, everybody. Uh, of course, for shippers that uh, uh, operate in uh, in a sort of a push system, so they just uh, produce as much as possible because the demand is there all the time. Then these kind of containers, of course, could Could be could be a solution, but then uh, uh, there are also other problems that should be taken into account, and and those problems are um, maybe these containers are not uh, uh, do not fit the standard that we have worldwide, and um, and that means that uh, for example, uh, how do you stack then uh, a 53 containers on top of uh, a 40 foot container? So there sure. are then some <laughs> operational challenges that. Uh, make these uh, 53 foot containers uh, not fitting uh, the existing systems because uh, maybe you need uh, i don't know uh, other type of operations in terms of cranes so having this uh, uh, single uh, um, uh, let's say uh, innovation uh, yeah. like a, a niche innovation uh, it can be uh, sometimes detrimental because you are uh, uh, moving uh, away from the standard which is already well Uh, already uh, give a lot of efficiency, obviously. When you have uh, all containers the same size, uh, uh, it's very easy to handle them, and that's why worldwide um, the 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 forty foot container is the is the standard. Basically. Yeah, okay, so it it means it's a nice idea, but it's not the solution. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I don't. Julia, if I may also intervene yeah, for sure. a second. Well, also if you look at it from from a contractual point of view you can also wonder again whether well will this for example solve this problem of shipping air yeah because it will give the overhand to large shippers who can ship uh, fcl cargoes but it will create even more uh, lcl shipments and LCL, lcl shipments are always more expensive also uh, than fcl shipments Uh, well, relatively seen then. So it, it might create a competitive disadvantage for, to smaller shippers who, who are not able to fill up 53-foot containers while they might be able to fill up 20-foot or 40-foot containers. Okay, yeah. So um, it actually... Well, for Walmart, it may be uh, quite convenient. But indeed, for the smallers, it seems it seems quite, uh, quite, quite a burden. Um, so uh, we, we talked about consolidation a lot. So Wouter uh, called it um, puzzle. Um, and uh, well, this is actually what, what happens. So uh, different smaller items will be consolidated to a bigger one. Um, how can this work operationally in a way that parties collaborate with each other? Uh, first of all, the, the fact of having a, a small uh, 
containers <laughs> is uh, is actually well uh, the future uh, for many and uh, this actually relates a lot to the uh, physical internet idea uh, and the physical internet is about uh, replicating how internet works in a transportation network where you have uh, uh, small packages that uh, run around and uh, they are kind of independent so that that will be the future actually and that's why this idea of uh, ext- uh, enlarging the size of the container is, is really a little bit uh, uh, anachronistic i would say um, in terms of uh, uh, cooperation, uh, I think uh, uh, what we need is, uh, is really like uh, a platform that uh, connects uh, uh, the different shippers. Um, because uh, at the moment, uh, all the shippers are, uh, let's say, planning uh, uh, or at least booking things uh, independently. Um, but this also means, sorry for interrupting you here, but this also means that this must be a platform for more than just vessels and uh, so different modes definitely definitely the, the 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 future i think is about creating a platform that can also work for a, a hinterland system because the let's say um, a big chunk of the transportation cost comes uh, from uh, the hinterland transport so mm-hmm. it's really like the, the the last mile so from the port to to the shipper that that it's really a big cost at the moment and um, and the, the platforms and actually also, if I, if I can add, uh, that is also the, the part of the transportation that affects most our society because we see it around with uh, traffic uh, and uh, vessel, uh, train uh, and so on. Um, so really platforms uh, more focusing on the, on the hinterland chain are really, uh, are really necessary uh, because, of course, you, you also open to the spot market. Because at the moment, uh, a shipper uh, book uh, independently a spot in a, in a means of transport. Uh, but there is very little possibility to, uh, to bundle uh, cargo together because there is no visibility. And uh, a platform uh, like we have, for example, for uh, Booking.com or yeah. uh, Airbnb or whatever uh, can actually ease uh, the, um, let's say, the, the consolidation part and... Uh, connect the different players uh, in the in the transport chain. Okay, but then then we end up actually uh, there with what Wouter already said, that we have a problem with transparency, that we, we don't know where it is. And uh, then then in addition to this, you mentioned the different um, the different operational challenges with the different railways between Europe and Russia. Um, but we also talked about the the legal incentives or the economic incentives provided by law and errors that go <laughs> directly in the wrong direction. So, for instance, if we talk about demerge and lay time, um, you started uh, explaining this in the first part. May you maybe explain what the problem is? So, um, in terms of uh, uh, the complexity operationally to uh, or organize the transportation, um, I think a platform in general, just to conclude the platform topic, uh, a platform can actually create a sort of uh, disintermediation because at the moment uh, uh, between a shipper and a transport operators there are too many layers and uh, a platform can really uh, just uh, uh, be the, the only marketplace where there is a connection between shipper and transport oper- operators but also between shippers and between transport operators. So that that is really something that can really ease uh, uh, the transportation process and also the the liability and the visibility, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, Concerning the Murage, uh, you, uh, well, um, 
of course the mortgage is, is a big problem uh, because uh, um, let's say the, the the cost structure of uh, the mortgage uh, uh, is uh, is a little bit weird although yeah. it seems just to, to remind our audience uh, the lay time is free so the, f the time yeah. for loading and keeping cargo on on the vessel is for free and just the moment you exceed the agreed lay time then you are under mortgage and you have to pay this but before this it's, it's just free Nice. Yeah, well, it, it looks like uh, it looks like uh, a nice uh, uh, cost structure. So you you are a shipper. You have uh, you 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 rent uh, a container, and um, and then uh, you have different moments. Uh, uh, let's say different uh, stages that this container is actually uh, having. The first stage, of course, is uh, when it's discharged at the port, and that is called the the, the period, I would say. And there you have uh, this free time. Uh, so you can uh, leave the container at the seaport for I don't know three four days, uh, and then uh, as soon as the container leaves the port, uh, then uh, there is a sort of detention period. That's that's uh, how it is called. And also there there is a free period, where the the shipper has uh, let's say a number of days to to do everything he needs to do with the container and then to bring it back. Uh, all these free days look uh, like uh, great flexibility, but uh, are very negative for uh, operationally because the the shippers are um, are using the free time uh, uh, as much as possible so yeah. if you have four days that your container can stay at the at the seaport of rotterdam uh, all the shipper will will keep the container there which means that in the port uh, if everybody is doing like that uh, they, in the port there will be a huge amount of containers that uh, are just idle and uh, whereas they could be taken uh, days before basically and this is also causing uh, an extra delay because the uh, of course, uh, uh, keeping the container at the seaport means that you don't have, uh, um, let's say, extra cost at your warehouse in the hinterland. Uh, but of course, you are affecting the, infra the infrastructure at the seaport. But in, in, in fact, none of the parties do act, uh, does actually have uh, an incentive to, to uh, improve on this, to, to, to keep it sh shorter, to keep it faster to be faster uh, so but this sounds to me as a typical like market area uh, era where regulators have to intervene definitely definitely I think that uh, um, there is a lot of gain uh, mm -hmm. from from all parties uh, and of course for the shipping lines this uh, the moorage and detention are really like uh, a big income uh, yeah. and uh, uh, but for example uh, uh, it could be ideal, uh, maybe to uh, to pay for each extra day that uh, the container is uh, is at the seaport. Uh, uh, maybe paying a small fee and then that exponentially increase over time, because in that way the the shipper is pushed to 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 remove the container from from the seaport. But then uh, there will be many uh, problems in terms of uh, uh, cost, obviously. Yeah. So you there are more bills to be paid and uh, uh, to keep track, obviously. So maybe, um, for example, one of the ideas that came up uh, uh, a couple of years ago was to have uh, uh, a combined demurrage and detention. So instead of having uh, separated uh, time windows, uh, having uh, a combined time window could could actually be an advantage, actually, and yeah. uh, not push the shipper just to let the container stay at the seaport before uh, the free period expires. But uh, great. So 
actually there is the need for law. And this actually also brings me to Wouter, because, uh, of course, here we can intervene as regulators or the regulator and the, there must be governmental action. But when it comes to cooperation, this is a private law thing. So uh, do you think that from a legal perspective uh, and w keeping in mind the mandatory nature of transport law conventions, uh, rendering any derogating contract or clauses null and void, do you really think that such a cooperation can work legally? Well, so first of all, a question is what would be the easiest? And the easiest way to navigate this would, of course, be if there is no mandatory law. Yeah? But this does not mean that it's impossible or even, well, very difficult to navigate this mandatory legal framework. There are options to through contract management and contract design, which allow you uh, to have a predictable risk uh, exposure. And that is the most important, of course, that you can anticipate a possible uh, outcome. And personally, also for this... So, uh, sorry, sorry, Wouter, for interrupting you here, but um, so contractor um, design options, I, I think you, you refer to clauses and templates maybe. Um, can they be integrated in, in platforms? And what do you think uh, both is the mere existence of easy accessible platforms and convenient contractual templates sufficient to incentivize the parties to collaborate. Maybe, maybe Wouter, since you already uh, elaborate on this, maybe you first. Yeah, so, well, there is the, the, the platforms are often considered as a big bad wolf, you could say, but personally, I'm a fan of platform-based cooperation, especially in logistic chains. Um, well, there are, of course, always uh, risks about platform power, etc. But for what concerns the legal framework, when this is like so often in platform economy imposed on the parties, this makes contracting much more efficient. Because when you ask parties to think about preferences and risk, obviously they have an opinion about this even if the risk is a mere 1% risk. For, to give you a small example, um, we had a dummy version of a bundling platform ourselves where we invited people to exclude certain types of cargo. So to indicate whether they want to uh, exclude certain corporations. Well, many shippers then excluded, for example, dangerous goods, etc., etc. But if you make use of a normal forwarding agent, you also don't know which types of cargoes your goods will be consolidated with. Yeah? So by the simple fact that you give them the option to think about it, you already lose some potential cost savings. Yeah? And so the same applies for, terms, for the terms of cooperation, for profit sharing, for risk sharing. Will the solution be the best solution for all parties involved? No, not necessarily, but the legal framework should also not necessarily present the best possible solution. It should present a solution that works and that allows parties to move on quickly to the essence of it. And then, and that is to 
uh, generate the supply chains in a more efficient way, leading thus also to less container shortage. And as a nice side effect, we will also have greener transport. Yeah, true. Yeah, if you think about uh, not carrying empty containers, but only full containers, yeah, it's, it's, it's one uh, shipment less and one shipment less that potentially causes carbon emission. Thank you, Wouter. So, uh, Stefano, uh, what do you think? Um, um, is the mere easy, accessible platform and convenient contractual templates, are they sufficient uh, to convince P uh, parties to collaborate? Uh, I think the, the, there is more. Uh, there is more from... Uh, um, there must be some other incentives, uh, obviously, uh, that is because the, the transport sector is quite uh, uh, old-fashioned in terms of uh, mindset and uh, accepting this kind of uh, uh, tools uh, uh, could be uh, an obstacle uh, indeed. So there must be incentives and, uh, and also um, uh, sort of uh, uh, valorization of uh, uh, the, the, the platform basically uh, itself. So uh, really... Um, making them aware of what are the, the, the potential, uh, but also at some point uh, really involve some of them uh, proactively in, uh, in using the platforms. Uh, and this, uh, um, I think the platform should involve, as I said before, both transport operators and, and shippers, um, because they, they will both make, uh, um, let's say, the system more uh, cohesive, and um, they will also uh, create more opportunities as well. Uh, the shippers, for example, can can easily um, collaborate with each other and uh, combine cargo. Transport operator operators can uh, instead uh, uh, use uh, less uh, means of transport, so decrease the, for example, the, the frequency of some uh, some means of transport and maybe combine cargo in instead of in two barges in, in one barge. So right. and, and then and then of course we have the same effect as uh, Walter already mentioned. It's a greener transport then, and uh, definitely more efficient. Thank you both so much for uh, discussing uh, the subject with with me and with with us. Um, yeah, thank you very much for your time You're and. I hope we see more and uh, hopefully we can turn this container, cri uh, container crisis into a greener transport. That would be nice. So thank you also for the audience for listening. Um, as always, stay curious and we hope to see you or to hear you next time.